This is the Edisto TV podcast, connecting the Blackwater region. Welcome to episode 29 of the Edisto TV podcast. I'm Hugo. And I'm Tom. And we have spent the weeks, Tom, since we first got our hands on this beautiful new book, Edisto River Blackwater Crown Jewel, just thrumming through it and being amazed by the thorough and beautiful job that Larry and Rose Price did bring their love of the Edisto to the printed page. So that's why when Rosie called us up a few days ago to talk about an upcoming event at the Audubon Francis Beadler Forest Facility over near Four Holes, we were pretty quick to invite the Prices to come talk to us on the Edisto TV podcast. They did agree, and uh, unfortunately because of scheduling issues, we couldn't get them together, so we ended up speaking to them separately. So we do have those interviews coming up, but first I do want to mention this weekend, March 27th through 29th, we're going to be out with Doug Busby, the Swamp Buggy, and representatives of all sorts of groups. Friends of the Edisto, American Rivers, South Carolina Rivers Forever, the Congaree River Keeper. Who knows who else is going to be Bunch there? Of folks. Yeah, and we'll be talking to folks about the importance of taking care of the Edisto and all the rest of South Carolina's rivers. That'll be at the 31st Annual Sportsman's Classic. There will be a link in the show notes if you want to know more about the event. It's at the fairgrounds, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, it's at the fairgrounds over there by the Rocket. They take several buildings and... Um, it's a really good event. If you like to hunt, fish, uh, go in a boat, uh, everybody that needs to be there will be there. Um, our our booth is actually going to be right next to DNR, I think. So um, definitely come by and check out the Swamp Buggy. Um, if you hadn't seen it, you need to come by and see it. And, and uh, uh, pretty, pretty interesting uh, vehicle. <laughs> yeah, we would love to see a lot of folks come out and see us there. And um, it should be a big event. Uh, I think, like, what did I say? The 31st annual Sportsman's Classic. So it's it's been there for a while, and I understand each year it just gets bigger and better. That's correct. All right. And, um, Tom, I know that just recently you and I were looking at a interesting new uh, development on the Edisto TV Internet service front. Uh, I saw that you had posted a uh, postcard talking about coming soon. How soon? What's coming? Fill us in. Okay. Well, we're calling it fiber to the farm. We're calling it fiber to the swamp. But the idea is that um, we've got a, an agreement now with our provider. So we're going to have high-speed internet, basically as much as we want. And we're going to be able to beam it through the air to the rural areas within the Edisto River Basin. So we are excited about that. Um, like I say Atlantic Broadband is going to be our, our partner and provider. Uh, and they are encouraging us in every way they can to uh, – get hooked up and start uh, getting internet out to the rural areas. So um, anyway, we're starting around Wagner. We've got enough, uh, we got the equipment and we got everything we need pretty much lined up to uh, put up a prototype and start beaming some internet through the, through the airwaves and see how it works. So pretty excited about it. The pilot project getting underway. That's right. We are, we are, uh, uh, you said when, I mean, I'm going to say we're going to have something going, you know, by this summer yeah okay but, i mean i i think it could be soon it could be it'll it could be two months two, 60 to 90 days i'd say we should have some people hooked up but uh that's very exciting i look forward yep. to hearing progress reports as we go along um a few things online in the uh couple of weeks since last time we had a podcast go up uh the bamberg chamber of commerce uh that's jerry bell's organization over there in bamberg They've got their canoe and kayak trips. We went on one of those last year, Tom. Had a good time. 
You thinking uh, yeah. of going back this year? Absolutely. Yeah, they're great people down there. They they treat you nice. They uh, give you a lift. It's it's just a really nice setup, and it's a beautiful part of the river right there. Well, I'm looking forward to it, too. And, yeah, we'll have to coordinate and get back down and paddle with those guys again. Uh, again, there will be a link on the show notes for this. You can uh, check it out and uh, contact them if you do want some more information about what is up with those canoe and kayak river trips. Uh, hey, can I, say, can I say something else about the Internet? Absolutely. So there, I did put up a post that said fiber to the farm out on Edisto uh, TV and then shared it on Edisto Concerns as well. And um, there was a question about the satellite dish, because I'm saying in the ad this is not a satellite dish, but yet I've got a picture of something that looks like a satellite dish. <laughs> And uh, so I did a little research and, and found out this is just a parabolic antenna. And if it was pointed at a satellite, it would be a satellite dish. But ours are not pointed at a satellite. Ours are pointed at other antennas on the ground. And so, anyway, through this process, we're able to use these same kind of technologies to get Internet to people out in the, out in the woods and out in the swamp. Yeah, if, but, if, if I can jump in and, yeah. and explain, and you can tell me if I've got this wrong. Right. Even though it's the same basic antenna technology with a parabolic antenna, the point of being a WISP like we're talking about being here using terrestrial beamed Internet technology is instead of having the latency involved and having to shoot hundreds of miles up to a satellite, right. you're only shooting a mile or so, so it's instantaneous, right. and you can do things that you can't do with satellite, right. like gaming and Internet telephony and those things. Exactly. The latency, they're, they're trying. They really are, and they've gotten really good at the download side of the satellites. But if you're a gamer, if you like to do Xbox or PlayStation 4 over the Internet, it's not really doable over satellite and um and with dsl it's kind of as my son I, i've got i filmed him the other day talking about it. he said basically you know uh if you have the slowest internet you're probably going to die first <laughs> <laughs> all right so um that a little discursion back to the internet stuff um yeah just to be clear i was talking about gaming right so they're right. shooting each other but if you've got the high speed internet you can you know communicate you, you know, you can be racked faster, but if you're on the slow stuff, you're going to die. Boy, I think you've tipped off the world that I'm not really a gamer. <laughs> <laughs> um, also online on the part of the Internet that I do use, um, we do have a story over on the Edisto Concerns Facebook page um, talking about coverage of California's drought. This is a story from the New York Times. And, you know, California, they thought maybe their drought situation was going to improve. They had a fairly wet December, but, boy, that's all they got. Their snowpack out there at historic lows, Skiri is closing early. And, you know, a lot of California's water that they use during the summer falls on the mountains in the form of snow during the winter. And if they don't have the snowpack, they don't have the water. Some of the... Uh, California water authorities there have already notified users that there just won't be any water coming down their rivers this year. You know what we should do? We should give them our rivers. Yeah, that, that because we that have plenty of water. Yeah. <laughs> we got plenty of rivers, plenty of water. I mean, these poor guys—they need a place to put their giant farms. <laughs> I know some people who agree with you. You should talk to them. Yeah. Um, finally, on the topic of people who agree that we should just give our rivers away, a few days ago, the Orangeburg Times and Democrat had an editorial that absolutely hit the nail on the head in reaction to the latest talking points from Farm Bureau on the surface water issue. And we agree with 
every word of what they wrote. I, I say we. Do you agree, Tom? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd go with every word, but I think pretty close, definitely. Right. And definitely the um, – I mean, I, I like that they went point by point uh, against what Farm Bureau saying and basically just discredit it because most of it is illegitimate. Yeah, well, we, we would encourage everybody to click on the link in the show notes, read the whole editorial. It isn't very long, but there are a couple of lines there that get right to the heart of the matter. I'm going to read those. They say, quote, the objective is not – to put undue restrictions on agriculture, which we would not support. It is to ensure that the state has in place sensible laws and regulations that protect the environment in a developing state with much reason to protect its bounty of natural resources. Yes! Do we really not have a good reason to protect these things? Or See, I don't understand... They really think that if we just leave it to them, everything's going to be fine. Leave it to the farmers to decide. Don't don't let this but be public. At and, the same and, time, I think the farmers have a legitimate place at the table and should be part of the conversation. I'm not saying they should be excluded from this. But, I mean, the, the thing that I find particularly galling about some of what Farm Bureau has been putting out is they make it sound like changing the law is going to change the status of anybody who is already withdrawing water. Right. It can't, it doesn't, it will no. not. And I, don't take my word for it. Look at the legislation, research this, find out for yourselves, people. What the Farm Bureau is saying is going to happen as a result of fixing the problems in the existing law is not an issue. They talk about problems withdrawing from farm ponds. Farm ponds are specifically excluded from the provisions of the Surface Water Act. It just... So much of what they're saying is designed to get knee-jerk fear reactions from people. And the Times and Democrat calls them out on it, and I applaud them for having done so. Yeah, and, um, you know, go check out the videos on uh, SC Rivers Forever that we put together uh, on the videos page. There's several uh, on there that uh, address this. Check out the one that has our Commissioner of Agriculture, Hugh Weathers, on the cover um, basically he admits he's been out in California recruiting some of these guys cause they, they're running out of water and that's crazy when they could come in here and have rights to take as much river water as they want. I think we're, we're really, really messing up here. All right. Well, now let's take a deep breath. And let's move on to Rose and Larry Price. We're talking about that outstanding new book, over 270 beautiful pages, hundreds of great images from Larry. Uh, got Rosie's thoughtful and informative writing that sort of weaves through and around those great pictures. And, Tom, I know you've spent even more time with that book than I have. Just overall, what can you tell love the people it, about it? Love it. The only problem is I start reading it, and I immediately want to put it down and just go on out to the swamp. <laughs> but it really it really is. It's like that. I mean, um, it, it, like I think Larry said, like, you, you know, you can't put something three-dimensional into two dimensions. But, I mean, with that limitation, I think he's done a really great job uh, of, of capturing the, you know, the beauty and the kind of almost mystic qualities of that Blackwater River. Pretty cool. It is an amazing piece of work. So we started out by asking Rose to tell us about their upcoming event at the Audubon Beedler Forest. I'm uh, Rosie Price, and I am a co-author of uh, a book that has recently been published on the Eddystow River. And um, it is through Joggling Board Press and um, uh, support financially through um, MWV, 
um, and uh, we, we just are really excited about it, and folks have just been uh, really generous and have reclaimed the river for themselves uh, through the book, and they've been very gracious and are appreciative that this effort has been done, and um, we, we're just excited to be able to present it to the folks in the state. Can you uh, follow up on that, uh, Rosie? You mentioned to me earlier, um, you, you said said you you kind of were seeing some excitement about people, like it's it's opening up people's eyes to, to, to the value of the river. T tell me more about what you're hearing and seeing from people as you talk to them. Um, exactly. Um, this book is giving folks an opportunity, like I said, to reclaim the river for themselves. They are uh, proud that they can show beautiful images to folks to show them that there is beauty in our community, that the river itself provides such um, wonderful resources for our area. And it's a, it's an area that they want to see uh, remain as much the same as it possibly can. Um, they are interested in showing off where they live, and the book has given them that opportunity to do so. Okay, and uh, you said, uh, tell me about upcoming events. Uh, where will, where can we see you, and where can people get a look at the book? Okay, we have had uh, three book signings so far, and the next one scheduled is for May the 2nd at the Bodler Audubon Center, which is in Harleyville, South Carolina. Um, it begins at 10 a.m. and carries throughout the entire day, evening to uh, even into the evening with uh, an evening walk through the Bodler Swamp. Uh, things such as a writer's workshop will be offered. Of course, Larry and I will be there to present our book and uh, do some um, autograph copies for folks. There will be an orchestra in the middle of the Bodler Swamp playing throughout the day um, at different times. We will also offer uh, canoeing and kayaking uh, at two different times uh, through the help of the um, Bodler staff. Uh, so it's just an opportunity to understand the connection between the Edisto River that actually feeds the Bodler Swamp and to experience being among the oldest uh, living cypress trees in the world. And um, it, it's just going to be a wonderful nature experience and just another connection to the river that people can uh, participate in. And can you give us the, the exact uh, date and location and uh, times again? Okay. It is going to be at the Bodler Forest Audubon Center, which is located in Harleyville, South Carolina. It's on May the 2nd, starting at 10 a.m., uh, going through uh, the evening, uh, ending up with an evening walk in the Bodler Swamp. And you can, a uh, person can call and sign up, you know, just call the Audubon Center there at Bodler, um, or they can go through Joplin Board Press and get some information and details as well in that direction. Right. Do you is there someone from Joglin Board that's helping you with your tour and helping coordinate things and that kind of stuff? Or are you doing all that on your um, own? 
Uh, no, actually, Susan Cameron Campbell, who is also uh, co-author and editor of the book, is um, helping us, you know, with that particular end of it, and, and we're just sort of spearheading it together. Uh, but the folks at Bodler are particularly uh, being helpful. Uh, they were helpful from the very beginning in the publishing of our book and helping us to uh, be on course with correct uh, biological information, correct information historically about the river. I mean, their expertise without it, you know, the book just would not have been um, all that it is. And, um, you know, they're just experts in what they do, and uh, they, they'll be more than glad to help folks out as well. And we do want to draw attention to Bodler. Um, it, it is a most pristine place. And it's just a place that um, everyone needs to visit, you know, before they leave the earth. They really do. They need to experience just how old the earth is and um, uh, the nature and the beauty of things. And, it, you know, it's a, a life-changing experience, and we want folks to be able to do that. Excellent. Um, what else... Uh... What else would you like to tell us about the the book or anything else you're involved in? Anything uh, about the river that uh, come to mind right now that you want to speak about? Okay. Let me uh, just mention that a lot of folks have asked us where they can purchase a book. Uh, number one, they can go online with Joggling Board Press at jogglingboardpress.com and, of course, order a copy. Uh, there is an issue of shipping, and so that depends on where you live as to how much the shipping will cost. But throughout the state, uh, we have several locations that are carrying the book at this time, and that is Books on Broad, which is in Camden. The Cotton Mill Exchange at the South Carolina State Museum has copies. The Little Red Barn Art Gallery in Barnwell has copies. And, of course, the Bodler Audubon Gift Center has copies. Marigold's. Uh, in Somerville has copies, and also the Eddystowe Island Bookstore, which is actually located on Eddystowe Island, is carrying it as well. It, you know, we just have it scattered all around and, you know, uh, lots of opportunities there to buy through independent um, booksellers. Um, I can't begin to express, Larry, and I just want to express our gratitude to the receptiveness that people have given us. Um, we've had a lot of folks that have called us after reading the book, after going through it and just taking time with it as to how much they have learned about the importance of the river. And, and of course, like I said earlier, they are very appreciative um, to actually have the beauty that has been captured and just to be able to experience that uh, for some folks, they've never been up and down the entire river, so this gives them a clearer view of just how different it is from the, the headwaters all the way to the uh, mouth of the rivers uh, down around St. Helena Sound. So we we feel like with their reception that they've given us a thumbs up and that we've done um, a good job, and, and, and like I said, we're just very, very appreciative because the public is the the judge as to how well a book does. Um, we we are up for some awards through the independent book um, sellers, and uh, there is one uh, group out of New York that has uh, put the book on the finalist list for 
uh, Nature Book of the Year. So we're excited about that. We won't know the outcome of that until June um, of this year, but just to be on an awards list is, is quite an honor, and uh, we're very appreciative. Well, I was just, uh, I'm kind of paging through here as you're speaking. Uh, I love the book. Um, of course, the photographs is what grabs most people first, but the words yeah. and the, the prose in it is pretty uh, interesting. Um, I just turned to the page about uh, Sweet Bay and just, you know, it goes on about <laughs> the fragrances and, and how it affects yeah. people and how it affects nature. You know, just really, really neat the way you put this together. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I couldn't help it. Um, when we were there and Larry was photographing the Sweet Bay, it just smelled like lemon meringue clouds and lemon meringue pie to me. You know how you'd have that as a child, and it was just a pleasant fragrance, and, and I could see why um, all of the insects would be drawn to it. And it's such a tiny, tiny flower uh, compared to some that are on the river, and uh, it's so hidden most of the time and uh, it was doing all it was designed to do and it just uh, it, it spoke to me at that time. Um, we actually started out um, thinking that we would just do a nice coffee table book, one with lovely pictures in it and sort of a float down the river um, and through the years that it took you know, Larry to capture these images, which literally he tried to capture a lot of things in all four seasons, and it took uh, several years and a lot of time to do that. But we came to realize the importance of the water, and and we had our eyes opened and realized that um, free-flowing water like this is is a treasure. And uh, we honestly did not know un until we really got into things that the river affected uh, so many people and that the basin was as large as it was and um, how much public water that it provided, how much water it provided for agriculture, um, and, you know, and learning about aquifers, just learning about so many different things and um, uh, how many different communities of people uh, depend, you know, on this water source. And then our eyes were open to uh, the different um, governmental agencies that are here to um, help protect the river, to help um, the public understand, you know, what's available or not and so forth. And, uh, you know, and in, in, in being over an eight-year project, you know, there are a lot of things that kind of surfaced and, and changed and uh, ways of looking at things. And um, all of a sudden, the meaning for the book, instead of just being a lovely coffee table book, became um, a passion uh, to protect something that if it's ever um, uh, destroyed or harmed in any kind of way, recovery would be just very, very difficult. So we wanted to... Uh, become part of the process of um, helping educate, help open people's eyes uh, to realize that, you know, water itself is not always going to be free. It's not always going to be there and dependable if we don't take care of it. So um, we actually count it a privilege now to uh, sort of be a voice for the Edisto River and um, 
you know, we all need to become good statesmen. We all need to cooperate. We need to um, try to support one another in what we're doing and um, in every effort that we make. You know, it needs to be toward protecting our natural resources and not just the Edisto, but all of the surface waters that are in South Carolina. Well, I just want to echo what Tom said. I think your book is marvelous. I, I'm so glad to hear that it is getting, you know, some recognition in the form of awards and so forth. And I, I hope you sell a million of them. I, I you know, I, I can't imagine that you, you'll, you know, ever, you know, get back in money what it took in effort. But it's obviously a labor of love. And we're so so pleased that y'all are doing that and that we've gotten to know you through it. Well, we we appreciate the opportunity and, and it was a labor of love and um, we uh, are, like I said, we're just very grateful. I mean, the book is filling and it is filling fast and it's going a lot faster than I thought it would. And um, so we encourage folks, if you want a copy, you need to get one as soon as you can because uh, they are going. So that's Rose Price talking about their book, uh, Edisto River, Blackwater Crown Jewel, and also talking about uh, their upcoming event at the Audubon Beedler Forest, where there's going to be, as she said, activities, music, I think she said food. I know that they're talking about an evening walk in the swamp. I guess that would be on the boardwalk there. So that's a great facility out there. Have you ever been? Yeah, there? I've been. It's been a while, but yeah. uh, I, I want to go back. Um, I know you can't bring your own kayaks there. You, you have to rent, I think. Well, I, I don't know with this event. It would yeah. probably be something folks could call the Beedler Forest, and we can probably give them that contact information in the show notes. Yeah, but it sounded like they had a couple trips, a couple paddle trips planned. So I think they only do guided tours there, but uh, they have a couple trips planned for that day. So, yeah, it sounds like a really good day. It, it really does. And I will say for those who are thinking about going and may not have been out there before, it's pretty well marked in terms of signage. The maps were no problem using my smartphone to navigate there when I went last year most recently. But when you get there, it is a one-lane dirt road going in. And, you know, you need to be courteous if people are coming out and work together to get through that. But um, when you get there and it looks like the road ends, you know, it's actually just that little two-lane going down between the fields out, out, out to the uh, Audubon Center out there. So we look forward to seeing everybody there. I'm certainly going to try to make it over. You going? I hope so. Maybe we can carpool. Okay. Anyway, so that was Rosie's interview. Then later on that same afternoon, we got Larry on the phone to talk a bit more about the book project and all things Edisto. And, um, you know, Larry's living proof that a picture's worth many words because he's not real talkative. <laughs> but... Yeah, we worked with him, and uh, once we started talking about the Edisto, he did begin to open up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you can tell he just lo he's fallen in love with this place. I think he always loved it, but to spend as many as much time as he has, I mean, he said literally it's probably two years of time he spent on the river in the last uh, eight or nine years. So it's pretty pretty incredible commitment, and um, the pictures are just amazing. And it, it meant a lot to me, and I, I believe he's sincere when he said that if he was starting it over again, he'd probably work twice as hard knowing what he knows now. Yep. So that's that, that's a man who's, who's really put his uh, his money where his mouth is, so to speak, and, and boy, what they got out of it is, is just amazing. So here's our interview with Larry Price, also talking about their recently released book. Well, um, my wife, that was her idea to do the book. 
and I had just retired, so it seemed like a good time for me to start, so doing my part, I figured it would take me probably two years to, uh, to photograph it to get the photographs I wanted, and um, so I started in, I think, like July of I've, and we finished up pretty much by 2012. I took a few images in 2013, but by 2012, that was pretty much the cutoff point for me. I had most everything I wanted on my, on my list at that time. And, well, we got into getting deeper and deeper into it as the time went on and we knew how important water was and so we started asking ourselves were there any regulations on the uses of the water in the state, any any of the water, surface water or groundwater and we found out there was none. So that kind of shocked us and um so we kept um, motoring on with the project, and and we just um, just kept going and going, <laughs> and um, and we were concerned about those things, you know, the water and the quality of the water too. We've seen that go down in the years since I was a since I was a kid, since I was. A, Teenager, me and my dad used to fish in the river all the time. And when you get to the point you can't eat the fish, then I don't know. We we just really lost something there. But um, so we just kept motoring on, and and we finally found uh, somebody that would sponsor the books, so, and we. We um, continued on, and we just she kept fine tuning her writing, and she spent a lot of time on it. She spent as much time, or probably more, than I did. And that's about it in a nutshell. And we just were fortunate to be able to have the time to, to accomplish that at this point in our life. And um, it really started years ago. Really, you spend a lifetime, you know, it's, the, it's your whole life, you know, that you've been involved in this area with the, and having connection with the river and interact, interacting and doing things on the river and by the river, you know, you, you, all of that really, it comes down to, and the book was the accumulation of all that, that, that lifetime, you know. So when I was, by the time I got to be, just about early teenager, maybe a little bit before, my dad and we all, neighbors and his friends, we'd go down to the river and fish and camp and cook fish overnight and we'd even go during the daytime and get fish and cook up on the bank, that kind of thing. And, and um, but um, ever since then, you know, I, I've been involved in it and I just, we just, well, the river, we just, there's something about that black water that just mesmerizing. So, 
it's just it's just natural to be part of it you did you did an amazing job with the photographs uh in your book uh they're just so amazing beautiful and and like some of the close-ups of the flowers and the bugs and stuff can you can you tell us a little bit about your your camera rig and kind of how how you uh how you managed to get all these great photos well i had sort of planned all that out really before I started, and then as I went along, and my wife, she would say, well, she needed certain shots. I kind of knew the shots that I wanted. I knew it would take some time, and I spent multiple days trying to get shots. I would go, I went multiple times, multiple years to get certain shots, to get the light like I wanted it, and to get stuff at the right time, the right period. We really didn't go by season. We were we were we were we were not going to lay the book out like spring, summer, fall, winter. We didn't we didn't go along that route. But anyway, it was a lot of boat launches, and I'd say over ninety percent of them were took on two boats. And most of the time, I went early in the morning, and I went during the week. I didn't go on the weekends, and I tried to avoid people as much as possible. It was a lot of timing, and and like if I was going to photograph the hummingbirds, I would have to put out, I put out as many five as many as five anchors to hold the boat steady, steady, because it you can't have you can't have much movement there. So, um, but um, it was it was a it was a, it was a good bit of work, but it was it was enjoyable. Uh, you, you mentioned that you started out with a list and that it took you, what, seven, eight years to shoot everything you needed. Was there that one shot you started out thinking you were going to get that you just never got? What What's the hardest shot to get on the Edistat? Deer. It's hard to sneak up on a deer. The hardest shots would have been the hummingbirds. They weren't so hard. But be there for a few seconds, maybe three hours before they come back. If they come back, so there's a lot of time involved in that. And I've done a lot of waiting and watching. And the only thing I didn't do was I didn't do any nighttime. I thought about doing some nighttime photography, and I thought about flying over, but I never did do that. The nighttime, I just. I decided I wouldn't do that. I don't, I, don't, I don't really care for nighttime photos anyway. But um, those were the, that was the two hardest. And then positioning the boat for certain light and and things like that, all the mechanical feelings you had to deal with. Uh, finding the stuff is the fun part, but setting up and photographing it, and that's work. <laughs> Actually, going through the process of setting it up and, and doing all that—that's that's the work part. The finding the part, the, the excitement of finding something, especially if you haven't seen it before. And that's the, that was where the real joy was. But the actual photographing—that's that's a little bit of work there. Yeah, and and I, I know there is a lot of planning and then logistics that goes into getting it. Um, wondering with all that planning, did you have any that were just happy accidents that you just got lucky? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You get lucky. Yeah, 
like the old saying, it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> I don't consider myself the best photographer in the world, but I think I've got a good eye, and I think I I look for a lot of things. I'm I'm constantly scanning for stuff. Is is I think where my strength is. But uh, well, the cover photo yeah, is get, there a story behind that cover photo? That's a beautiful shot. Yeah. Um. That was down in the lower part. You know, we tried to cover up the whole river system as much as we could. We tried to go as far as we could to the beginnings of it and then all the way to the end, you know, at the, at the coast. And that was near the coast. And the man that from the uh, the M, the Mead West Baco, he's the one that picked that cover photo. I, I didn't pick that. I told my wife it would be the hardest photo to pick for the book would be the cover because you you cannot sum that river up in one picture that's right we're just looking up so we're looking at your deer photos for, for for having a hard time getting them boy they sure are pretty yeah yeah they were they were the most difficult i got within about six or seven foot of a beaver one day and you could see his orange teeth. That's how close I was. They have orange teeth. And I had them on the laptop, and I hit the wrong button and deleted all my pictures for that for that shoot. Ouch. For that for that day, and I spent I don't know several hours. <laughs> but some of them, they you know, some of that stuff that you have to work at it, and then some of it, it just falls right in your lap, and it's not the same every day. One day may be successful, then the next day. You know, you you can just you, nothing nothing works out, and then the next time it may stuff just falls right in your lap. It's just you just have to spend a lot of time with it. Talk a little bit about what kind of gear you shot this with. I know you're on Nikon cameras, but what what were your lens choices going out to shoot this stuff? I had everything from a twelve to twenty four millimeter to a five hundred millimeter. And I wish that sometimes I'd have had a video. The video would have probably captured some of the stuff better than, than the steel, but um, that's what I had. I had basically one, two, three. I basically had four lenses, and I only had, um, let me see, I had um, two camera bodies when I started. One was a four megapixel, one was a six, and then when I wound up, I had a 12 megapixel. <clears throat> but I dropped one of them in the water. I dropped my best one in the water down at um, the river and lost it. It fell off the lens. That can't have been a good day. No, it wasn't. But I kept. I started to come home, and I called the wife. I was that upset. So. <laughs> anyway, I had another camera body. I said, well, I'm already here. I might as well go ahead and go for it. So I went ahead and kept on shooting and we sent it off, but they said it wasn't economical to fix it. Mm. Yeah, that had to hurt. And I was, I mean, I was real lucky. I almost lost my 500 one day. I almost lost the whole rig, tripod, uh, camera, and all one day. I took some risks. I wouldn't do it again. I, I wouldn't take some of those risks that I done. That, that I done then. I really so, took some. I really could. I really could have <laughs> had some major damage and loss. <laughs> So, so did you work with the waterproof housing? Did you just keep everything in pellet cases until you're ready to shoot? How, how did you physically keep your stuff protected while you were getting to and from your locations? Um, 
Well, when I was in my, my John boat, which was 15 foot, I could put a good bit of stuff in the boat there. And I, you know, just kept my regular camera cases and um, worked out of those. And when I was in the little one-man boat, now I was a little bit more cramped there, so I couldn't put a lot in there. It was I had to just only carry certain things, and I just was real careful with it. I tried to hang on to it. I used the tripod, and I would make sure I had one hand on the tripod. Because when you were trying to when you're trying to set up for a shot, uh, sometimes I was on the run, and sometimes I'd take time and actually anchor out and. You have to kind of anchor out above where you want to wind up at because by the time the anchor sits with the current, you know, with the current going, you know, if you set it right there, then you're going to be way downstream from where you want to be. So I had to be, had to be, had to be careful, but I guess I kind of got kind of sloppy there at the end there. <laughs> but I only, I only lost one camera. No, I didn't use any, any underwater housing. I had an underwater camera, but they didn't use any of the photos. They just used one, and I think it's toward the back of the book. What kind of feedback have you gotten, and how has it um, – just tell me what people are saying and, and how, how you feel about okay. that. Okay, I can give you two real good examples. Um, when we had our book signing in Baltimore a couple of weeks back at the library, well, a lady that runs a library system for this side of the state, she told me that she had used it in her church for teach uh, uh, children. So that was real good um, there. And then I had a, a gentleman that came up to me in a store one day, and I've known him a long time. And he said, I'm glad you've done that. And that meant a lot to me. And I guess the, the third thing was, and it's real personal, my wife, the guy interviewed us before we had the book signing for the newspaper here in Barnwell. And at the end there, my wife told him that she got to do it with the love of her life. So that was three things there that not, that was worth it, the whole thing, you know. That was worth the whole, all that work, all those boat launches and and all of that, just for those those three comments there. And then one guy called us this week, and he was said he had read the book completely through. I hope people read it because my wife put she, they put a lot of work into that, but uh, said that he'd read it all the way through. So yeah, we've had some real good, we've had a lot of good um, feedback from it. And, I told Rose, I said, you know, the, the public's going to decide if it was a success or if it was a failure. We just done it for the, for the love of the thing, you know. And we didn't do it for the money. We didn't go into it to make any money. If we do make any money out of it, we're going to give it to some kind of conservation, you know, establishment or something, if we do make any money out of it. But we, we didn't go into it to make any money out of it. Right. Well, I but think it shows that. That, that, that wasn't our purpose. I prefer, I, we went in, you know, strictly for the love of the, of the place. Well, I would certainly like to thank Larry and Rose Price both for agreeing to talk to us on this. And uh, once again, they are having their event there at the beginning of April in the Francis Beadler Forest. And you will find links and information in the show notes. 
And uh, we would encourage everybody to come out, support them, pick up a copy or two of the book. Perfect for gift giving. And uh, Come on out and find us at the uh, Palmetto Sportsman's Classic out at the fairgrounds. That's right. That's this weekend, the 27th through the 29th at the fairgrounds over in Columbia. And uh, with that, I think we're done. Anything else, Tom, before we move along? Nope. All right. So that's episode 29 of the Edisto TV podcast. We will be back with a brand new episode in two weeks on April the 10th. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This is the Edisto TV podcast, produced by Edisto TV, connecting the Blackwater region.